0: I'm here today with Chip Keys, one of the lead engineers at Helpful Human. My name is Mark Sandino, and we're just absolutely chuffed. I think that's not a naughty word to be here with you. No, It's, it's a British word. Mm-hmm. We have some British customers. I should ask them if that's a naughty word. Yeah. Have we used that correctly? I, I think it means excited. Yeah. Yeah. Sounds right. Anyways, we wanted to kick off our first Helpful Human podcast. We're excited to be here. We're in my mini HQ backyard office that is the result of the pandemic. Mm -hmm. We used to have offices downtown Seattle. Yeah, those were the days. Those were the days. Fancy, (laughs) fancy modern offices. And now we've all been, we're the diaspora or diaspora. We have been scattered asunder to our respective homes. Yes. Separated, but not alone. Separated, but not alone because of the internet. Yeah. Anyways, today we want to talk about what it takes to build your own thing. Now, um, the word own maybe is not the perfect word Mm -hmm. because it can also apply to completely building a thing for a customer, for a client where you're not just a tiny cog in a big machine.
1: Yeah. Maybe something like from scratch or at at the, I think what the industry usually uses is greenfield projects.
0: Well, okay. Well, what about this? Not necessarily greenfield because
1: Uh that speaks to the
0: technological underpinnings, whether everything is a unique creation, yeah, right? We we don't need another payment gateway or a content management system. Someone would argue with that. I'm sure someone out there is creating a new payment gateway and someone Mm -hmm. else is like, Hey, I have an amazing content management system idea. How dare you? And maybe it is. And in five years when it's a billion dollars, we'll be like, what were we thinking? <laughs> yeah, I know. Exactly. I remember when Squarespace uh, first came out, it was like, oh, yeah, I mean, we already have WordPress. And so, what?" I mean, I don't know, this cloud thing. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'd love to say I had my finger on that,
1: but <laughs> I, I, that, that became something it's much, the, much larger than I thought. Yeah, it's the same thing with like Zoom. He was way late to the video conferencing game with Cisco and many others and... Everybody kept telling him, you're not going to do it. You don't need, we don't need another one of these video conferencing tools. And he said, well, everyone hates the ones that are out there. You know what I think it was?
0: Mm. Remember when Mazda had those commercials, Zoom, Zoom? Oh, yeah. I think people got confused and they thought they were downloading a car. Yeah. Yep. That's probably what yeah. it is. Okay, all that to say, what we want to talk about is the difference between being digital people, creators and developers who are working on maybe a huge project or a slice of a slice of a slice and whether it's for your own business or whether it's for your client really owning the deliverable. And it can mm-hmm. it can be a part of something that already exists, some legacy software underneath, platforms and frameworks are a huge part of our lives. Mm-hmm. We want to talk about the whole nature of owning that versus taking on just a piece. Yeah. Because that's what we're, once again, we're chuffed to do that kind of work. So chuffed. I'm, I'm, this is the last time we should say that word. Yeah. Cause I don't think we really know what it means. (laughs) Okay. That being said, we need to give you a little bit of the backstory of helpful human and who we are, but not a lot because I don't know that anyone really cares. No. So helpful human is a digital consultancy with a strange name. Mm -hmm. What does
1: helpful human mean to you, Chip? The phrase that I have always stuck with since I started was, uh, we're humans building software for humans. So, uh, we, we've always wanted to separate the technical, um, which is easy to get, especially for developers to get stuck in the weeds of the technical and forget that we're building software for people to use. Yeah. So that's, uh, that's how I've always thought of it.
0: I think one of our early taglines, which I forgot until you brought this was brought this up was helpful humans because robots haven't taken over yet. Yeah. I like that too. Yeah. Well, it's true. Robots haven't taken they over have yet. Yeah. I'm reading a future dystopian novel where robots have taken over mm-hmm. and we've all not seen, good. we've all seen the matrix. Yeah. So we don't want that to happen, but we started out as a, a company that would do really anything for anyone. It was me and one other guy, Nick. And, um, we did agency stuff. We did, um, Hey, you need my theme developed over WordPress, um, things like, a lot of the cloud systems weren't around yet. Shopify wasn't a thing mm-hmm. yet. So that's what we started with. But we very, very early on, because Nick was pretty talented, um, very talented, actually, mm-hmm. we waded into the deeper, more complex stuff. And over the years, as we've grown, we just got further and further and further over our heads. <laughs> oh, yeah. The work was over our head. Oh, and, yeah. But we rose to the challenge. We swam to the surface and we tread water sometimes. And other times it was like we were um, skiing.
1: Yeah it's definitely very frequently that we go into projects and we're like, I have no idea what we're going to do here. We don't know what the solution is going to be. But we, we figure it out. And that's not because we're ignorant. It's
0: because the problems are inscrutable. They're just like, but geez, I mean, this is a
1: massive lift. Yeah. And, and oftentimes the person asking for it doesn't even really understand what they're asking for. So it's, there's a, piece of it that's not not just solving the technical problem but figuring out exactly what the customer wants the client wants um which is a challenge in and of itself
0: absolutely and it's not because our clients or the person asking for it let's call them the the customer Mm -hmm. um doesn't know what they want to accomplish that's actually one of the first things they know they say hey I want to digitally transform my industry, my business. Mm -hmm. I want to reduce friction in delivering this thing. I want to make a big difference in these people's lives. Mm -hmm. And so often you'll hear me talking to these people and saying, hey, listen, we reverse engineer business goals and budgets. Yeah. And one of the first things we try to do is wipe as much complexity off the table as humanly possible Mm -hmm. because and we're going to talk about this. You got to start with that easiest seed, the nut, the essence of solving that problem, because inevitably it's going to be much harder than you expect it to be.
1: Yeah. And I think people, they, they feel they have a big problem that they need to solve. And so they feel that they need a big, technical, complicated solution to solve that problem. And it's so important to find uh, what we like to call elegant, simple solutions, which are often not the easiest right, uh, yeah it it adds an additional complexity, but um ultimately I think it de- it delivers a better outcome, and we're going to talk about that in another podcast, the rise
0: of the platform and the frameworks it's just a quick teaser. it's unbelievable how much easier it is to create relatively well moderately complex solutions mm-hmm. with fantastic pre-existing solutions, yeah today we're going to talk about how end-to-end creation is is different than exclusive taking on a little piece of the pie and really doing more of that. What does that mean to you, Chip?
1: Well, I think that there's an aspect of you don't you're not just coming into a project with like a very small scope of work. You you have to think about uh, how this is going how the how the solution you come up with is gonna fit into uh, and go from end to end. Uh, and solve an entire problem, and not just um, fit into what's already sitting there waiting for you to integrate with. And it it tends to be uh, there's a lot more backend data structure work. There's it's it's not a lot. It's not about putting new faces on existing technology. Um, yeah, and I think that there's a big challenge that comes with it when you have to figure out how am I going to architect a solution to this problem that actually delivers what the business wants, um, and, and be able to, to do that in a way that fits within all of the specifications that they, they've set out for you, whether it's integrating with their legacy system or having to integrate with their, um, on-premise network, which is a challenge that a lot of people have to face of where their data is located. And it just, um, it can balloon very quickly if you're not careful.
0: Right. And and the, the, the seed of it is, um, complexity is always going to be there. Mm -hmm. Strip out complexity. But the concept is if you walk into a room, you can walk in as two people. You can walk in as the person who says, Hey, I'm here to do work. What do you need done? Mm -hmm. I'm here to I'm here to you know, give it the old college try. Oh, wow, this seems complex. Let me jump in and see if I can start hammering away on this. The yeah. other way you walk into the room is what problem are you trying to solve? I'm going to be responsible for delivering that outcome mm-hmm. for you. And what we're really in love with is that second person walking into the room. That's the room we want to walk into. We want to be prepped to do that. And we love to tell those stories of other people who are doing that. Now, one of the One of the easiest ways to find people who have agencies or consultancies who are good at that are the same companies that have done it for themselves. And Mm -hmm. we have a few examples of those that we want to point out that we think are interesting. But before we get into that, I want to say something as as a 47-year-old person who has been doing this for um, a while now. I... This is somewhat polarizing, but tech tech isn't exciting to mm-hmm. me. I and, and I think a lot of people can identify with that. It's like, yeah, code design. I mean, it's interesting and you know, it's fun to keep up with the hot new thing. Mm-hmm. But what's really exciting is solving problems and delighting customers.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, th- I think as a developer, I bristle at that a little bit, but um but I I see the sentiment of it's becoming increasingly more simple to find somebody that can just Uh, type code for you. And it's what we see um, on these projects is that people struggle to find uh, teams that can actually deliver what they said said they will deliver at the beginning.
0: Yeah. uh, A point of conflict, which is happening less and less between Chip and I is, well, I should say Chip is the lead developer, and you'll learn more about Chip over a series of podcasts. He's a talented uh, engineer focusing on the back end and DevOps But uh, one of the challenges we have is in a product that we have, it's Mm -hmm. a separate company called Experiences. You can find it at experiencesapp.com. And we're aspiring to be the platform for the experience economy, sports, entertainment, travel, and dining. Mm -hmm. Our first integration is with Shopify. There's a reason we did that. If you know anything about Shopify, you can answer that question for yourself. But a a pretty common conversation, um, and we could probably act this out, but I'll just do it real quick, (laughs) is, hey, Chip. Um, this is broken. No, this isn't broken. Well, yeah, because the customer, they can't use it. Well, n- no, that doesn't mean it's a defect or it's broken, Mark. The work <laughs> is done. Well, yes, but they're not able to use it to solve the problem it's supposed to solve. Well, it doesn't mean, Mark, that it's broken or defective. And I said, but from my standpoint, until it's being used and solving the problem, it's a defect. Mhm. Would you would you cast any different color on that
1: conversation that we've had? Uh no, that's I think that accurate. I think I would add that uh an additional comment is that oftentimes the broken means that it's not being used the way that we built it to be used. Right. Uh, and and so that's another <laughs> workaround. Yes.
0: Let's talk about that because you can ship a product, you can have an app, you can have something that people can use, but until they're using it to solve the problem that needs to be solved, despite what we want them to use it for, Mm
1: -hmm. it's not really delivering value. Yeah. And the challenge that we've seen is that you can claim yourself, put the stake in the ground say, we're the experts on the experience economy industry. This is how you should use an experience. This is the app you need. This is the how you should use it and uh and then inevitably your users will come back and say, "No, I want to use it a different way, and you need to I don't understand why you built it this yeah. way, it's and they dumb. get up. they get they get upset, yeah, <laughs> and they and rightfully so sometimes we're
0: telling them how to use something they're like no, that's not how i that's not how I internet, yeah, I business this way, and I do it i I business so hard this way, and this can't help me. Your tool doesn't help me do my tough job, yeah, right, so the definition is not just an app, but this is something that is launched and completely validated through end users who are paying one way or another for that thing. And we've done this as Helpful Human. We've been part of these teams and we've, we've done a lot of what the customers end up uh, using Mm -hmm. uh, for megacorps, a few of them in a row over the past few years and, and then done complete end to end value delivery for startups. Mm -hmm. And uh, let's, let's talk a little bit about that. And I want to start by um making a caveat <sighs> now, if you're listening to this, you may know that in the world of agency work consultancies whatever you whatever you um call them, they are prone to slap a bunch of logos on their website and say, "We did important things for this company." Mm-hmm. Are you familiar with this chip? Oh, yeah, yeah, oh, okay, and in reality, they maybe did a little bit or they were a little part of something,
1: yeah. Yeah. They were, you know, especially the larger the project, you tend to have these multiple teams uh, spread out throughout regions, countries, yeah, and each of them is individually responsible for a very small piece of the overall.
0: We were on a project for a major cruise line. The budget was unbelievably large. Mm -hmm. We were a slice of a slice, a slice of a slice. A lot of what we did got on was was on was the things people interacted with mm-hmm. on major screens on door locks on phones on tablets yeah um this project I, I remember one time i came into the office like hey does anyone know where chip is and i think it was tim said who's he's like um yeah he's in uh denmark what's he <laughs> doing in denmark oh well, he's on a he's
1: on a ship in dry dock yeah was setting, that, setting up hardware uh i was on i was on a ship at one point but travis was the one that was on at went to dry dock Okay. He was the one setting up hardware, which, you know, he was, you know, fairly fresh out of code school, uh, <laughs> web developer. And then they had him like helping with hardware configuration.
0: Yeah. And you had helmets and vests
1: and steel toed shoes. Oh, on. yeah.
0: Yeah. I was like, well, now now I completely lost track of what <laughs> a number of our, our employees are even doing. And you I think you had some funny stories because the cruise line launched this product early mm-hmm. and you know which is great for validation and everything but because you looked that was it was it you or someone else that was customers
1: cruise goers were asking for support yeah i, I was on one because i was part of the team that was building the routing around the ship um and i had people asking well why doesn't it do this how can you do that and uh, I was like, you know, that's, I don't know. That's, I was way above that decision was way above me. I yeah. just, and you're like, Hey, I'm a software yeah, developer. I'm not trying a- <laughs> to get this icon just over a little bit here.
0: Yeah. And it was, it's a, it's an amazing, uh, amazing project and super ambitious. And, mm-hmm. but we were on a, we were on a team with, I don't know, hundreds, if not thousands of other oh, uh, yeah. technical professionals and But yet that's a huge uh, story for us to tell um, about this thing we were a part of. And so just because you might see a logo on our website of something we worked on doesn't mean we're responsible for 100% of the value. And that's Mm -hmm. great. And that's the way it should be. Some of these projects are massive. We don't have thousands of employees. Mm -hmm. But there is an amazing and glorious difference between whether the deliverable is big or small, companies who create something for nothing. I'm just going to rip through a list here. Mm -hmm. Of people who have created something who are still have agency side of things. Metalab out of Vancouver or Mm -hmm. Victoria created Flow, which is a really great um, project management software. Oh, yeah. 37 Signals famously. Jason Fried, Fried, however you say his name, created Basecamp, Mm -hmm. which they shut down their agency. Friend of mine in Seattle, JP Worland and his partners created Pipeline Deals. They were a consulting company. Pipeline Deals is a great CRM tool. Some other friends of mine uh, I used to work with years ago, Luminous, Mm -hmm. they were a design agency. They created this thing called Parking Boss, which will be a future interview we'll hopefully do. And then one of the most famous ones was MailChimp. 20 years ago, MailChimp was uh, a design agency making websites. And and the story goes from where I heard it. I think it was uh, they needed to be able to help their clients or themselves send out newsletters and there wasn't a great tool. And so they created, I think they even called it MailChimp back then. And their, their hope and their goal was that they would make enough money just to be able to buy hamburgers and I could be wrong about this at Fuddruckers versus <laughs> McDonald's for lunch. They thought, wouldn't it be amazing if we just made enough money with this? <laughs> now, now they own Fuddruckers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, now, now it turns out they own um, all Fuddruckers and half of all the McDonald's. No, that's not true. That's <laughs> fake news. But yeah. they are a billion-dollar corporation. I don't think they've ever taken a lick of money from anybody. They're incredibly profitable.
1: Yeah, and a great example of, of a of a company seeing a. Uh, uh, Some value that was missing from the market that and and they had to build it themselves. And so they 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 just looked at it and they said, I think people could use this thing that we built strictly for ourselves. Right now, here's where we get a little distinctive about making a
0: to do app that you kind of just abandon or you put some energy into versus a thing that you whether for a customer or for yourself is the the goal is maximum value, maximum utility, solving a problem, doing it where you're in a customer centric way, delighting that user, Mm -hmm. not telling them how to use your app, but really discovering it.
1: That is a rare and special skill we're finding. Yeah. Yeah. The example that we always talk about is like when somebody says they want to do something uh, like I want to charge people money for a thing or I want to send a start an email campaign uh, being able to have a product where somebody says, oh, well, if you want to do that, you need to use MailChimp or you need to use Stripe. Um, those are sort of like the examples that we hold up as like you if, if you're going to do that thing, you're not going to you don't want to build it yourself. You're not going to go. You're obviously going to use this thing that's out there.
0: Yeah, that's a That is a great qualification. If you end up with something that where even highly technical people saying, well, geez, I mean, why would we, Yeah, why would we do this? If someone came and said, Hey, I want to take credit cards online. Yeah, you're right. I'm not going to say, shoot. Yeah. Let's go create a gateway and yeah. vault credit cards and be PCI compliant and uh, do a deal with a big underlying bank. Yeah. Let's go do that. That would be a horrible, foolish waste of time Yeah, because Stripe and Braintree and half dozen others are not, if not more have that locked. Sure. Yeah. Right. We can, We can talk about how amazing those companies are until we're blue in the face, but there's a difference between really owning that amazing solution uh, end to end, Mm -hmm. whether you hand it off to the client, help them get staffed up, which is one thing I love about ThoughtBot, by the way. Mm -hmm. I think they're headquartered in Chicago, but they have multiple locations. They're a consultancy. They not only create great products, but they also help their customers whom they're getting these products started with staff up and then manage that,
1: that thing. Yeah. That's big.
0: Yeah. It's huge because otherwise you're what always relying on your vendor from here to eternity to support and manage that. And there's too much of a disconnect between the end customer and the agency or the consultancy who built it. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about our story and our experience with it. And Chip, I know we want to sound cool. Mm -hmm. We want to, we want people to think we're winning and wonderful. Am I not cool? Well, I mean, you're reasonably cool (laughs) and I'm not cool at all, (laughs) but let's talk about our experience putting our money where our mouth is. Yeah. Okay. So a little backstory. Helpful human has always wanted its own SaaS product. We love building stuff for other people. We love being a part of great teams and we do a lot of modern web stack stuff, Mm -hmm. a lot of JavaScript. We do stuff in Go. We love cutting edge tools, but we also know we can't go too far one direction because it's not supportable. But that being said, we wanted to build something. I was interested in um, this experience economy thing as someone who spent much of my youth traveling and creating memories. It's the thing that matters more to me than any other way of spending my time aside from being with my family and in those near and dear to my heart mm-hmm. but when i'm with those people i want to create memories and um, the experience economy is without getting too big into the the underlines of why this is a great business it's massive yeah millennials especially in generations past and going all the way back through gen x and boomers are being heavily influenced by the fact that um, those vacations with your families those, um, uh, moments in time where you're doing more than just consuming something, you are being with people Mm -hmm. and, uh, doing things that will, even though the memories of those things change a little bit over time, they're the most meaningful things for you. Yeah. Once again, sports entertainment and, uh, sports entertainment, travel and dining. So, um, I remember Pete, Albertson mm-hmm. and I were sitting in our office and talking about what we could do. And this is one of the things that came up and uh, we said, Hey, let's, let's build a product and let's integrate with a great e-commerce system. And Shopify was the best candidate. And the reason we, we thought that would be a great um, move was because the first step in an experiential thing is vouching for a moment in time in the future. So mm-hmm. imagine you've got a, houseware store on in the corner of any city in the United States. And they're realizing, Hey, you know, people aren't really coming in here anymore to buy my stuff. What's happening? Well, the internet happened, Amazon happened, direct to consumer happened. And one thing we believe is you don't need to get in your car uh, to go to buy stuff anymore. You, yeah. you just order it online. Sometimes it shows up the same day. You get in your car to create memories, to mm-hmm. have experiences with your besties. And so maybe that housewares company says, hey, I'm going to do a candle making workshop and uh, we'll have a hot bat of wax and some vessels you can pick off the wall and some wicks and some scents and maybe some dried fruit. And maybe we'll have a premium experience where you can eat some charcuterie and <laughs> sip some Prosecco on Sunday mornings, whatever. I don't know if you should eat charcuterie on Sunday mornings, but I do know you can sip Prosecco. You should not eat it. That That's probably also true. So. We said, hey, how hard could this be? Which, well we didn't really say that because we've been building software for quite a while, but we but we said we were overly optimistic. We mm-hmm. said, hey, let's let's build an app to add booking mm-hmm. to as a platform tool to existing commerce because we know that the bookable moment is the beginning of a potentially fantastic relationship between a merchant and its customer. Mm-hmm. That can not only uh, result in that bookable moment, but that customer delightedly buying all sorts of stuff from them where the good or the service is consumed along with the experience. But it's almost even a prop for the memory they're making.
1: Yeah. And they often buy more and more expensive items. Right. And we didn't want we don't want to
0: build a complete e-commerce system going back to geez, why why do that? No. We want to be the underlying um, technology to enhance the experience economy offering. Mm -hmm. That's our mission well not it's put better uh, other places okay so we're, now that you dear listener understand what the thing is chip what has this journey been like uh
1: it has been a roller coaster to say the least i think um you I mean i i came in uh after it was prior to our initial release of the application for for people to use um but we were pretty far along down the road. Um, and, and so it was sort of like, Hey, uh, we need the team to get together and push this across the finish line. Um, at the time I was kind of interested in DevOps stuff. So I kind of took over the deployment aspect of it. Did you kind of take it over or did you totally, no, take I, it? I totally took it
0: over. Yeah. Okay. All right.
1: Just making <laughs> sure. Cause I don't remember
0: yeah. anyone else helping you.
1: No, no, there wasn't. And it was, it was, uh, Incredibly dependent on us launching the product because, uh, as anyone knows who's built software, it has to live somewhere that is accessible to outside people. Um, which is, I think, often an afterthought of, of of software. Let's build it and then think about how our users can actually see it and use it. Right, and this is where
0: the rubber hits the road. We had this ambition, mm-hmm. much like many of our customers over time. We had some budget. Mm-hmm. Uh, Helpfully Human has uh, largely been profitable over the years, and instead of sending a lot of money to people's checking accounts, we've invested Mm -hmm. in things we believed in. We wanted a SaaS product. And uh, so we were ambitious. We saw a place where we could serve the world. Mm -hmm. We didn't have all the answers. We had a hypothesis about what would matter. Yeah. Uh, We were probably a little bit more sure of ourselves than we should have been, but we believe in the lean startup method. We believe in design sprints. We believe in all the stuff that you do to get early and often validation. Yeah. And we still totally screwed up.
1: Yeah, we clearly did not understand what it's like, which yeah, I think you could do a whole podcast on what it's like to integrate with another system. Um, but it adds, it, we gain an immense amount of um, benefit from integrating with Shopify. But uh, even to this day, you know, now, what is it, three years out now? Um, I would say that there are things that I'm like, man, it would have been nice if we didn't have to if we didn't integrate with Shopify, even though it has been largely beneficial to have that partnership. Um, but, uh, we launched early and immediately we thought, you know, Oh, these, these merchants that are going to use our app, they'll have one, maybe two experiences. They'll just create them. They'll leave them there. Yeah. Like, um, Sally Mays,
0: um, toll painting and FIMO, bead making necklace experience on route 125 in Sheboygan, Wisconsin. I have no, by the way, I don't know if there's a Sheboygan in Wisconsin (laughs) or if there's a route 125. So anyone who's there and listens to this, which would
1: be very surprising. (laughs) All references were purely accidental. (laughs) Totally. (laughs) But, uh, I think, yeah, so we thought, you know, and, and we, we thought people would be you know, Oh, once a week, once every, you know, every two weeks or Monday, Wednesday, Friday, these very simple types of schedules. Yeah.
0: Can I interrupt real quick? Yeah. What our app does is it helps you create experiences really quickly in five clicks. Uh, you, you've got our app set up and you're publishing your first experience and it's just seamlessly inside a Shopify store on brand, Mm -hmm. um, at the domain experiences is hidden in the background and, uh, it allows them It's basically a scheduling engine in its most raw sense. Yeah. Um, And we definitely want to get we don't want to focus on the technology. We're experience economy enablement and the tools we're building are doing more and more of that.
1: Yeah. Okay, so that's what it is. And so we 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 had a very simple idea of what our merchants would want to use it for. And it turned out that one of our first users Came to us and created one hundred and twenty different experiences with varying schedules that were equally as complex, and totally brought our app to a standstill for him because we were relying on uh, the integration with Shopify, which, as any self-respecting API developer knows, you'll put limits in place so that people don't abuse your system, and uh, we were we were hitting those limits very quickly.
0: Yeah, so. Uh, From a layman's standpoint, we were storing information at Shopify Mm -hmm. that we should have been storing ourselves. And and we knew that to a degree, but we think, hey, let's get this product out early. Lean Mm -hmm. startup. Let's let's validate really, really quickly with who we thought our customer was. Yeah. And it'll work fine. It'll be performant. And, um immediately we were disabused of the reality of who our customer was and so what was happening is we were saying hey um shopify computer can you just hold on to this information a little bit until our customer needs it back and shopify was like yeah great no problem yeah mm-hmm. you're, absolutely we just love our partnership with you um i'm the shopify computer um i'm canadian <laughs> so i like toques and um gravy on my fries and we're like mm-hmm. great yeah that's fine shopify computer just do your job and then there came a point when our customer needed the data back. We're like, "Hey, Shopify computer, we need all this data." It's like, "Hey, you, sorry, I, I, yeah, sorry, sorry, <laughs> I'm having some poutine." Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you can have it back at 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 my leisure. Yeah, a little bit at a time. Here's a little bit of information. No, we need the information faster. Well, like I like I said earlier, I'm I'm t- I can't I can't really do this for you, mm-hmm. um, because well rules. Yeah. And I'm not going to give it to you as fast as you want. So our customers were sitting there looking at a view on a web page waiting till the cows came home to get data.
1: Yeah, I think I think at one point it was 30, 40 seconds of of load time, which is just I mean, when you when when you're in the modern Internet, you're you're talking like, oh, I don't, I don't want it to be over like 500 milliseconds. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs>
0: and we're like, oh, no, we thought <laughs> wrong. We did this. <laughs> we we made our product wrong. Yeah. And um, then we we, we were almost immediately uh, we had customers doing millions of dollars a year yeah. to our app. And they're like, we love your app. It's, you know, we got some, it's, it's beautiful. It's easy to use. Um, we like you guys supports good. We're getting a lot of kudos, but they're like, but there's this thing. It's, it's glacially slow. <laughs> <laughs> we're like, Hey, we're, we're going to fix it. Okay. Guys, if you didn't think this was painful,
1: Here comes the next part, which is really painful. I think the biggest mistake you can... The the second biggest mistake you can make after you build something incorrectly is to think that you can then rebuild it in less time the right way Mm -hmm. from scratch. Well, you certainly have the knowledge now. You know what you need to do. Yes. And I think that's deceiving because
0: when for yourself or for others, you're saying, okay, we've, we've got this figured out. We've been here before past project or whatever. Mm-hmm. You're thinking this is how we would approach it now, but every new approach, even if you know exactly what you want to do has pitfalls and unknowns and points of friction that are sometimes almost magically
1: evil. Yeah. And I I heard, I, I read, uh, I think it was in the mythical man month, which is a software project management type book. Um, and, and he talked about how the first mistake is that you under-engineer your solution, and so in in, in some sense, well, that's kind of what we did with that first iteration of experiences, because we thought we don't want to manage all of this additional data on our side, because then we have to keep things in sync, and we gotta go back and forth. And the second the second iteration uh, suffers from over-engineering, uh, and so that's that's where we what we did next is that we we said we learned all these things from that first uh, version that failed, uh, well it didn't fail. But didn't hit the mark. And right, right. And I think we were surprised by our
0: quote unquote early success. Cause yeah. I remember telling everyone, it's like, hey, when we have one paying customer who isn't my mom or one of our <laughs> friends who swipes her credit card and agrees to pay us, I'm gonna run around the office screaming, giving everyone a high five. Because we know, having built stuff for quite a while, that an incredible validation is one paying customer. Yeah. And we and we decided to have people pay from day one. Now yeah. Doing an integration with another platform is an easier way to make that happen because you're partially validated by just being a part of their ecosystem. Yeah. But on the other hand, it's more difficult because you have to account for integrating with a mature performant or marginally performant system. Right. Yeah. But I remember we got that first customer and then the next customers were like, and I want to run my empire.
1: Yeah. (laughs) what? No, yeah, there's, there was no in between. You, and it, you didn't get a lot of, I mean, like I've, I've, I've listened to people who create products that are not integrated with things. And they talk about like, you know, this, this sort of like close re- relationship that they have with their first like three customers that like help them build and iterate slowly. And, and it, it was, you know, within a couple, a month or two that we had 25 people, 30 people that were like, I need this now. Cause my business is running live now. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And this, once again, let's jump into this continuous improvement mindset, continuous improvement model. That means a lot of different things. It's kind of a catch all term. Um, one snippet of advice I would give my past self is this, uh, launch this simple thing. Mm -hmm. And I would have argued with myself, by the way, no, this is simple. It's just right now. It's just this core thing. Well, okay. Yeah. But, (laughs) but even simpler. (laughs) Okay. How about this? Nope even simpler, (laughs) because inevitably what's going to happen, and this is really informed how we consult with Mm -hmm. our customers at Helpful Human, is it doesn't matter how simple you think your offering is, there's still an incredible amount of complexity that's coming from different angles. Yeah. The complexity of these well-known frameworks and platforms you think are going to be easy to use unless you've done it many, many times. Mm-hmm. And we'll talk about that in a future. Our journeys with Kubernetes, our, our strong and uh, persistent desire to build our own form frameworks mm-hmm. and, you know, really getting our comeuppance in so many ways when we thought we were so dialed in. That's one of the greatest skills that we're learning is um, don't discount complexity, And and then it comes from people. If it weren't for people, Chip, this business of making stuff would be so simple.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Computers just do what you tell them to do. Yeah. Yeah. Just like, hey, it's out there.
0: But it turns out on the other end of that desire is a human that wants to use it. Yeah. Okay. So jumping back in, uh, we got into a situation where I distinctly remember a conversation with you. we were in the Smith Tower downtown. Mm -hmm. And I was beautiful conference room beautiful conference room, gazing out across the sound, contemplating the future. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking, we've got to fix this. And the brain trust had assembled. And the verdict was, we've got to re-engineer this. We've got to do our own data store. We've got to, do a bu- we got to jump through a bunch of these hoops. Yeah. And I said, well, we have customers that are paying us and they're depending on us. How long is this going to take? And the answer, do you remember what the answer was? Uh,
1: Roughly one to two months. One to two months. I thought, yeah. wow. Which seemed at the time was like, that was the longest we'd ever quoted a piece of work. Before that, it was like eh, a week or two. Yeah, exactly. And we were like, oh, we, we should give ourselves plenty and, of time. And I'm just like,
0: really? Eight weeks? <laughs> oh my gosh. Prove to me that we need to do this. Here's why we need to do it and blah, 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 blah. Okay. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. Really? Eight weeks? <sighs> Okay. Now.
1: Let's pull off the veil. How long did it actually take us? Um, let's see. That would have been I think it took us roughly a full year. It took a year. Yeah. It did
0: not take 2 months. No. Okay. Now, some of you are now thinking I am never going to hire a helpful human <laughs> <laughs> to do anything. And A, if you want to think that, that's, that's mm-hmm. on you. But the reality is, if you look at the stats, this kind of misappropriation of time and effort happens every single day.
1: Yeah. I think that, uh, the only people that really may, uh underquote projects are ones that haven't had experience working on big ones, because once you do a couple, like now, if you ask me how long something's t- going to take, I'll tell you a year. And yeah.
0: then, <laughs> like, well, you know what I say? And then I can deliver it earlier. Say, someone will say, Hey, we need this amb- ambitious, amazing thing. And my, and they're and the, they'll say, how, how long is it? How much is it going to cost? And my first answer is all the money. And they laugh <laughs> yeah. a little bit and they say, well, okay, how much time? And I say, all the time. All the time and all the money. And it's an opener for saying, listen, we reverse engineer business goals and budgets. Mm -hmm. We are going to be your Sherpas, your whatever metaphor you want to use to deliver that first thing that's going to help you validate. And we want it to be beautiful. We want it to be delightful and we want there to be research at the beginning as much as we can, but there's no better validation than getting it in front of your customer. Yeah. So- Um, I know there's other people who do things differently. It's secret, 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 and then you launch it. But invariably, what's going to happen is it's going to change a lot. Okay. So um, just to pull the bandaid off, what was the most painful moment that you remember when we finally launched this incredible refactor that was going
1: to change everything and solve all the problems? Yeah, I think it was well i mean that's that weekend or week or whatever is still referred to sort of as like the d day uh and basically it we had uh we had released as quickly as we could um and felt like things were pretty good but uh, you know going back to your your comment about getting things in front of the customer we had been testing locally we'd been testing um just on very small aspects and so we had some runaway um functionality that started creating duplicates in the system and it just um i think one of the things that ends up happening is is when you you underquote something you don't plan enough you have to spend all of this time in the implementation of the of the product or pro- uh, functionality and then you inevitably short the QA uh phase which is something that we're still learning today um and working on, but um having as much time on that back end to to really test. But basically we we ended up having probably a full week where none of us slept more than a couple of hours as we wrote scripts to reformat data. We fixed um the functionality that was creating the bad data. Um and and it was really I think just a, a testament of like how quickly we made the decision to do this refactor, which, you know, I always go back to, you know, one of the core pieces of our functionality, which is scheduling um, is we took a lot of, we took a whole weekend to plan out how that was going to work, what the data would look like, what the API would look like. Um, And that piece of software has really largely been unchanged since we wrote it that original, We've, we've fixed bugs along the way, but um, and then you contrast that to uh, when we spent about twenty minutes, thirty minutes in a conference room and said, "Hey, we re- we need to rebuild the application, um, ready go."
0: Yeah, and that that's how we fix this. We mm-hmm. now uh, we don't we don't write novels. Yeah, right? we write extremely practical, uh, technically specific stories mm-hmm. about what we're going to accomplish. And we do the diagrams. And this is another one of those things that building something where your future is on the line, your dollars, you feel the pain. Yeah. And you start to understand very quickly how some of these best practices are no longer just best practices. They're absolute necessities.
1: Yeah. I think it's easy to get into the mindset of some of these processes are just they're just boxes that you check to to make the system happy. Um, but you have to find that balance of like, well, no, they're actually doing something valuable, but they, you can't overdo it. You have to find that balance.
0: Yeah. Um, design sprints, interviews with potential customers, uh, taking time to specify why what you're doing matters and how you're going to do it down to some technical nitty gritty Mm -hmm. An agile, flexible mindset where you can say, we're probably going to get some of this wrong, but in a continuous improvement model, we'll get it right faster. Test driven development. Yeah, um, just just end to end thinking is something that we bring to our consulting now. Even when we're on a part of a bigger team and we're hired to do a very specific thing, we find ourselves with a seat at the table, mm-hmm. talking to people w- of of control and power and budget, and bringing that as a value add. Um, We certainly do it when we have more control with the client and in our partnership with them. Jumping to the, to the end as we're running out of time here, what, what do we have now? So we've, we, we had the idea, we validated it early. We were surprised by its actual use. Mm -hmm. We saw the need, clear need to refactor the core part of the way we delivered value. took us a lot longer we broke many of our customers' businesses, mm-hmm. um, for a very short amount of time. Um, it's testament to our ability to, um, jump to and to be, uh, the team members being winning and affable and, and just being available and owning our failure that most of these customers stuck with us. Mm-hmm. Um, now we have something that, uh, has, it's not a big business, has hundreds of customers and, um, a lot of them are free customers because we have a free plan right now. Uh, we've had thousands of merchants use our tool and we're learning how to scale. And once again, this is a different business from Helpful Human. It has its own team and, and that's where you're involved, Chip, obviously. Yeah. Um, wh- what do you think about this concept of owning the entire deliverable And really, if you think about it, Helpful Human is the client. And let's say you're Mm -hmm. the consultant at Experiences. You do own uh, part of Experiences. Mm -hmm. And uh, Helpful Human pays the bills of this organization. What do you think the difference is between the work you did before you took this on and now where you are responsible for delivering value?
1: Yeah, I think uh, think when you have a small piece of the puzzle on larger projects or even not super large projects, but when you're working on just very isolated pieces, it's, um, you get this kind of freedom to be like, well, that's not my problem. And not in like a flippant or, um, you know, rude way of like, I don't, I don't want to, you can't put that on me or it's just, you have to be focused on this flow, you know, whether it's like the checkout flow, you know, like I want to improve how my customer goes through this process, or, um, I want to cut down the time that it takes, uh, an engineer to find out what his job is for the day or something like that. Um, it's, it's, it's easier to say, well, that's outside the scope of my thing. Um, but what we often find ourselves, uh, doing on these projects, even when we are on that isolated thing is that we, it's very difficult for, uh, a team to fully be isolated on, on uh different parts of from from different parts of the application and so when i talk to other team members they're a lot of times they're have they're having to get into the the database even though they're only supposed to be working on the front end or they're um figuring out how to interact with some system that you know was built 10 years ago and um mo- you know bringing that back to what i've learned from, from experiences is that I think you have to you have to approach all of even when you get hired as like a uh, an isolated team, you have to go into it assuming you're going to have to learn the entire system uh, and think about how your piece fits into the full architecture. And that's something that we've we've learned um, from being on enough projects where very rarely do we stay isolated. Eventually, we end up, like you said, at the table with all of the different stakeholders and and having to inform people um through our expertise uh on what they should be doing in that area as well
0: good thoughts i would add that working on this uh product where we really have to delight the end user mm-hmm. it's a b2b product yeah but we have to delight that end user of them are Mm -hmm. non-technical. It has to be stupid, simple to use, Mm -hmm. which is the right thing to do. Mm -hmm. It has to be performant because no one wants to sit around and listen to excuse making about why something's not working well. It just needs to work. It has made us really, really sympathetic to the challenges of delivering value in ways that I don't think we ever would have had we been a consultancy that maybe did little side hustles, little side projects that Mm -hmm. weren't important to us, or um, only worked on minuscule to moderate size pieces of larger deliverables. Yeah. Now we do a lot of that, but I think we are much the wiser for the experiences we've had. And we want to be really vulnerable and open about, points of failure, it should be encouraging to anyone out there aspiring to do these kind of things that, listen, it's it's not going to be easy. If it was easy, everyone would do it. And yes, we have the low code, no code movement happening now, but and it, we, we aren't there. Systems merged together, even if they're robust systems, mm-hmm. bring complexity and new work is always going to be a challenge, even if you're not having to build everything. I think this has been a a good conversation. Hopefully it's helpful to people out there who are humans, humans. And, uh, thank you for joining us today on the Helpful Human podcast. Yeah. As always, we are totally open to chatting with you. You can reach us at hello at helpfulhuman.com. Give us your feedback. Tell us what you'd like to hear. If you want to be interviewed or want to tell your story as it relates to delivering end-to-end value we want to hear it obviously you can find us at helpfulhuman.com and thanks for your time today yeah see ya